The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. Today, I am selling myself. We're doing cookie.com salts, and I'm super excited about it, and I think everybody's going to get really pumped up about it. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. Okay, so our holiday quirky tips, we are really close to the holiday now, so we're only doing virtual ones. The holiday uh, quirky tip discount today is these cookie that consults. The link is in the description. I'm normally going to be offering this service for $159. It is only going to be $99 discounted through the end of the year, so you guys can get it at a steal. Um, I built the funnel yesterday. I, I haven't built a funnel in a while, but it no, went pretty well. Good job. Yeah, good job. Um, so the link is in um, the description of the show. There's a little promo video in there and everything else. So what the heck is a cookie that consult? Let's talk this up. First, I want to talk about how we came up with cookie that because this is attributed to Scott. Well, when we first started getting together in training, uh, Jess would always, you know, she was big on the marker training. And uh, in kind of like with the clicker, where you would click when the um, dog does the behavior you like, she'd yell, cookie that. <laughs> Cookie that behavior. That's just what cookie I always that. would say to the owner. And I said, you should name your business cookie that because she was saying cookie that all the time to people. Yeah. So, and then I, at the same time, uh, was getting Sink, who was, you know, my first like puppy of adulthood from like a reputable breeder, a sport puppy. So she's in the logo. So that was who I was when I first moved to New England. Um, and I did a ton of stuff with cookie that, I mean, going back and thinking about like the old days, Scott and I, when we had facilities, especially, um, when we had our facility in Lowell, we had classes every single night of the week, you know what I mean? And I was going crazy and I was seeing, you know, dozens of people a week doing that and everything. So basically the premise of cookie that is it was more pet doggy in New England, but as far as what I'm offering here, we're talking sports stuff. So there's been a lot of stuff going on in the dog world lately. Um, there was a agility judge that was attacked in New York a few, uh, weeks ago, maybe it's months ago by now, I'm not sure, caused a lot of hype, a lot of rigmarole online. Of course, you know, everybody's doing jury by Facebook feeds with that type of situation. UKI announced their rules as far as, you know, you need to be in the ring while the previous dog, before the previous dog exits. A lot of people are concerned about that. Um, a really good obedience competitor just got her arch like last week or maybe 10 days ago, uh, walking by the ring, a dog ran out, ran to attack her dog. So there's, there's a huge problem right now in dog sports and everybody's talking about it and everybody's, you know, just kind of being judgy about it. And I thought, well, how can I give back? How can I contribute? You know, how can I help the problem? So this is kind of how I wanted to um, attribute, you know, my own help and what I can do there. So basically, I will work with anybody in any sport doing anything, but we're talking about the behavior of that sport, not necessarily the technical side of it. So you're talking herding, dock diving, lure coursing, confirmation, Disc, agility, barn hunt, nose work, protection, freestyle, fly ball, rally, competition, obedience, tracking, any of those things. You go and you do dog sports with your dogs, and yes, you're going to learn how to get your dog to jump properly, how to get your dog to do a nice running contact, Hopefully. how, yeah, Hopefully. <laughs> if you're getting that instruction, that's what's going on. I'm not going to deal with any of that. If you, you know, contact me and you say, I have 
an issue where, you know, my dog, my vault isn't correct and my dog, you know, doesn't, my disc doesn't have the right hyzer coming off my back. I'm going to refund your money and I'm going to refer you out to somebody who's doing that in the field. I want to talk about behavior. I want to talk about these dogs that are in the red at these events that cannot control themselves. And you may have been paying for classes for years or seeing an instructor you love. I want you to see that instructor, but then I want to give you some feedback on how can we make this better? How can we make this go more smoothly? Because I think that there is a lack of behavioral help in the sport dog world right now. And for all of our pet dog clients who are listening, this isn't an episode that um, is is geared towards you, but we do a lot of pet doggy stuff. And so that was part of my reason for launching this. I wanted to give back. There's a lot going on in the dog world. Secondarily, I've been doing more seminars and you know days of teaching and stuff this year than I've done in the past four years. Since we've moved to Maine four years ago, we haven't had a facility. I'm very used to having a facility, being able to see um, students whenever I want, all this other stuff. When I'm teaching and I'm doing these seminars, it is fulfilling to me. I love doing this. Scott is on the road training dogs all day, every day. I cannot be, you know, now going and teaching at a a location or something else. So by being able to be home, I can still give back and teach and do what I love. So that's kind of the premise. Um, Does that make sense how I explained it? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, people that have uh, a problem maintaining engagement. Yes. You know, the dog (laughs) knows how to do all the behaviors and they get out into the the ring, and all of a sudden people lose their dog. You know, those type of things. That's a typical behavioral problem where the dog has good training Yeah. with all the obstacles or the retrieving, whatever the behaviors are, but there's uh, issues with that relationship and maintaining engagement. And lack of engagement. And this is not to fault your agility instructor or your herding instructor or, you know, your fly ball team or anything else. I don't know if I originally mentioned fly ball, but fly ball is definitely in there. These people are helping you, but you may need an extra push to do more and get more. And I'm sorry, entry fees are not cheap, you guys. Like we're talking, even once this sale is over, heading into 2024, for 159 bucks, you're spending more than that weekend after weekend on most dog sports, if not all right now. And if you're not qualifying, you know, time and time and time again, that's just a money sucker. So I'm literally here to help. So what it looks like is uh, you book a consult, you send me 10 minutes of video. You can do a YouTube, um, you know, link and show me that or Dropbox me video, however you want to do it. We can talk about that. Google Drive. It depends on how tech savvy you are and what you want to do. Up to 10 minutes of video, I review before we get started. I'll know what the issue is. And then we sit for an hour on a virtual consult. It can be Zoom, Skype, whatever works on your end. And we talk about these things. I like using my dogs. I am big on using my dogs as demo dogs. I will likely have dogs out ready to pull out and maybe give demos within that live situation. And then I'm going to give you a really detailed follow-up and an email about thoughts that maybe came to me afterward, what we talked about and ways to move forward. So that's what it looks like. Um, It's an hour of your time. And I truly feel like I do have something to offer in this venue and that I can serve you guys. I do think that you will definitely get a different perspective on how to deal with some of these things. Because I know that if you have these issues, you've been trying to work on them and you have sought out some people to help you with it or your club. But quite often, Jess will come in and and I say this because she goes to these different facilities and works with people that are very good at what they do, that are having these type of little little problems that are costing them a pass or a fail. Just a little pro because like in AKC obedience, it's you know, yeah. it's not like you get, you know, two out of three and you place. It's like you didn't pass. Yeah, there's not know? a lot of wiggle yeah, room once you get to the um, and, higher uh, levels. And I mean, as far as like me, I'm not gonna do a huge 
you know, just promo here, but like I've competed heavily in disc and agility throughout the years. I have handled multiple dogs in various protection sports since I've moved to New England with Scott. Scott was one of the first certified nose work instructors here. I have a pretty heavy experience with detection. Like, it's not like I'm out to lunch about how these things go. I've sat in on, you know, world record fly ball teams practice many, many, many a time. Like I, I, I know my ins and outs of dog sports. And at the end of the day, a lot of this is just behavior. You're going to have over arousal issues, or you're going to have under arousal issues that may manifest themselves through anxiety, fear, like Scott was talking about, kind of that checking out situation when you get to a venue. So that's kind of what I'm good at. And that's what I want to offer you guys. I do, um, before we had to break here, I want to talk about this whole situation with UKI. I was actually going to take some videos and have Scott do some demo videos with me, but it gets dark so freaking early. So I just want to describe this. Obviously, if you are concerned about being the person entering the ring after a known reactive dog is leaving the ring, you're not going to pay me for a consult. Like there's nothing to consult there. Your dog isn't the problem. I want to give you guys some solutions on what to do in that situation. So the one thing about agility is all the dogs are pretty small for the most part, right? Like it's very rare that you have a Great Dane entering the ring and a boar bull leaving the ring, right? We don't have super, super large dogs in agility. So considering the fact that the dogs are size that we can pick up or anything else, and I know there's physical limitations here, I'm going to tell you guys what I would do. And this is how I even walk with my dog. I power walk with Sink, who's that um, dog in the logo, you know, all the time on the street in Elliott, Maine, I have weights in my hand. If a dog or anything is going to run up to her, I have her jump in my arms. So that is a behavior that I would suggest that you teach your dogs. I know some dogs are like, don't touch me. I don't want to deal with it. They kind of have this like autistic vibe. They don't like that. I would teach the dog to come up on you, put the two front paws on you, and then you're going to break the trust in that situation of if a dog's running at you, you're going to swoop down and you're going to grab that dog and you're going to pick that dog up. They may be stressed out that that happened. They may not like that. It is a better situation than a dog actually making contact with your dog. For those of you who have physical limitations and cannot lift the dog, I would still recommend teaching the dog to come up on you, okay? When Sarge was attacked by three dogs, three dogs bigger than him. It was a traumatizing thing. He was attacked on his rear end. That is way better than the neck or the jugular or anything else. So for the people that are concerned about that, and I get that, that was a pretty strong statement that UKI put out. People are super stressed about it. And now it's kind of becoming like, oh, let's tattletale on these people. That's how I would handle those two situations. For the big, big, bigger dogs, I don't really have an easy way to talk about it. I told Scott, I was like, well, they could go in between your legs and then do like a, you know, stay rest on your foot or like a chin rest on the ground. <laughs> Scott's like, that's great. Put the dog in a submissive position while another dog comes to attack it. But yeah, I would just body block. And that's what yeah. I've always done with a, with one, like my Malinois. Well, you have a lot pounds. of presence though, too. Yeah. Uh, I, but my, I'm concerned and there is a certain amount of fear. If a dog is rushing us, growling and showing its teeth, that's obviously going to get me nervous, Yeah. but I'm going to be forward on that dog. It happened in a class uh, with the uh, the herbs people. We're out, you know, the sustenance, oh, sustenance herbs. herbs. Yeah, Joyce so they John. have this dog and the neighbor's... Their sale ends today, by the way. <laughs> the neighbor's dog comes tearing out of the woods, a German shepherd, and it looked like it was going to kill me, the dog, anybody. And I just ran right at it and screamed at it. And the friggin' dog put the brakes on. He, dealt, he, he backed up, he came in. He backed up, he came in. Then he ran off. But that same dog nipped at the husband yeah. in a previous time. So some of these dogs, you just need to, 
It's like if you're going to get attacked by a bear, they say, be big. Get those arms <laughs> up and scream. And, you don't have a lot of choice. And have good behavior on your dog. You need to be able to put your dog in a downstay and block your dog or something else. The last thing you want is your dog to be reacting in that situation. The last thing I want to say on this topic before we had to break is if there is a dog who is known to be a little bit squirrely with other dogs and now you have this plan of, okay, I'm going to pick my dog up to protect my dog. I don't want to get bit. Throw a hoodie on or something for your run. I'm not saying to wear the clothes, you know, the whole trial and everything else, but if we're really talking about this situation where you think there's going to be a trigger, I had a bite um, from that little Jack Russell that was here on the podcast when we did the Truth About Terriers, and it was a pretty sizable bite. Like, he was going for Jimmy, but I had jeans on, and it's just a huge bruise on the top of my thigh. I was going to show the picture, but it was a little bit um, (laughs) graphic for the podcast. Yeah, but, like, literally, just put another layer on. For the most part, a dog that... It's going to come in and use its teeth, even if it's trying to get to your dog in your arms. Some layers are going to help you in a certain degree. Wear, and your, wear your Kevlar training uh, Well, outfit. it doesn't have to be that crazy, <laughs> but really, I mean, now at least, you know, okay, there's more legitimacy of maybe this person should not only get written up, but should not be asked to come back to events when, you know, I have the dog in my arms and it's tearing at my clothes to get to my dog. So that's how I would handle that situation. Clearly, the people who are concerned about it aren't going to be paying me. But after break, we can talk about the people who are concerned about maybe being written up and how I'm going to help you. Well, I would say, are you going to take a break right this second? No, go ahead. Say what you want. I was going to say that just keep in mind that dogs are domesticated animals. They're not wild animals like a, 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 a rabid wolf or a bear or God knows what. They are meant to work with humans and be more respectful of humans just in their DNA. They're bred for thousands of years to be more respectful of humans. So get out there and make your presence. You know, run up that dog's butt. Keep them away from your dog. Don't be passive. And that's sometimes you need to go through the motions without a dog. I do this with my clients all the time. Go through the motions before you need it so that it'll start to kick in when you do need it. Whatever it is, it's going to happen. Because when it happens, it catches you off guard. You might just freeze. I don't know what to do. Next thing you know, this dog has got your dog. And, it's and the a other shit thing show. is Scott's talking about, you know, approaching that dog, having presence, everything else. Maybe even teach your dog to like run to the ring gate or something with somebody that you trust nearby. So you can actually send your dog away, you know, go see auntie. And then you're going to have presence here. This obviously takes training, but these are ways to combat it. Okay, let's go to break super quick and we get back. We'll chat more about this. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog podcast like me and Murphy here? then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. Okay, um, so maybe you have a dog who is running out of the ring. Maybe you have a dog who, you know, is at risk of running up on another dog and you're that person that's saying, you know, can you please give me some space before you enter the ring because, you know, my dog has an issue with other dogs, my dog's motion sensitive, whatever you want to call it. Let's talk because I promise you that's showing up in other areas of your life than just the agility ring. And even if you think your dog is still at risk of running and, you know, going after another dog, you shouldn't really be competing if that's the actual situation. But if you're concerned that that would happen, you should still be able to have a down from a distance on your dog. If your dog goes to leave you, maybe your recall is weak. Maybe that needs to be strengthened up, but you should still be able to, you know, yell down to get your dog to stop. So just think about these things. And this is... 
this is getting a lot into the aggression stuff, but mostly we're talking about over arousal, under arousal, right? The dog gets to a show. All of a sudden the dog shuts down. It's not the dog that you have in class. And it's not just because there aren't cookies anymore. The dog, you know, may have social anxiety or whatever it is. Like that's my bread and butter. You guys, I know how to build dogs up and the dogs that are over the top. We have a lot of over the top dogs ourselves. And I have trained some of the highest drive border collies specifically and Malinois specifically in this freaking country. I know how to get them to be in a thoughtful place. And it's not an excuse that, oh, my dog's overdrive. It's not the breeder's fault. Oh, the breeder bred this dog poorly, everything else. It's you need to learn to work with the dog that you have in front of you and get them to be in a thinking mind space. And sometimes that means you're going to pull out of, you know, sport training and shows and stuff for a few months to get on top of it. But it is something that you can get on top of. I promise you that. Scott and I continuously talk about this with pet dogs, it's very, very, very rarely that the dog is so screwed up. And we see a lot of dogs that are like rescues from God knows where mixed with God knows what. And it's very rarely the dog. So it's relationship stuff. It's relationship stuff, but the dog does well with us. I mean, there's been like three dogs in our whole career and we've literally done thousands of dogs together at this point where we've been like, wow, that was a bad egg. So if you have a dog that's high drive, be careful one, what you're asking for, but learn how to train it. These dogs should be able to settle in crates. They should be able to be out loose in your household. You should be able to have excellent control of your dogs. This is just part of owning a high drive dog. You need to learn how to train drive. So it's a very important component of all that. One thing that's kind of interesting is with the um, dogs that tend to have uh, separation anxiety from the owner, but the owner doesn't realize it because they're always interacting with the dog. Yeah, They're always working with the dog. They're either training or the dog is with them all the time in the house. And then they go into the ring and the dog checks out. So it's similar in my mind to when people say that I can't lose this dog in the house. This dog follows me into the shower. Dog's taking a shower with me. I'm saying, okay, then I'm assuming then that you can, and I say this with a little sarcasm, you can go out the front door off leash then because the dog doesn't leave you, right? Oh, Oh, no, no, he'll bolt out (laughs) the door. As soon as I go outdoors, the dog is gone. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of happens in the ring too. As soon as that dog gets this freedom and they know where you are. That's why they're comfortable going and sniffing and checking out other things. It it could be that, or it could be that, you know, they're feeling anxious, whatever it is, but that is a classic sign of anxiety. And anxiety is such a buzz term these days, okay? I am a highly anxious person, okay? I'm a highly driven person. I got in the cold water this morning. The water was what, 38 degrees? It was chilly. Yeah, it was cold. I slept like three hours last night, not necessarily because of this podcast, but I have insomnia about a lot of things going on in life right now and everything else. I have anxiety. I am proud to say that I have anxiety. I manage that anxiety. I am a high drive person. I am a decently intelligent person. I have a bachelor's of science from the University of Michigan. I was in the Ross School of Business. It's the same with our dogs. And I am the antithesis oh, stop it. of you this woman. Don't start. I sleep well. Don't, yeah. I don't overthink. He does sleep very, very well. <laughs> don't even get me started. He got his whole year statistics for the whoop. He's like, wow, I'm like in the top 5% of people that get 100% night sleep all the time. Don't even get me started on that. But literally, you guys, it is the same situation with our dogs. The smarter the dog, the higher the drive the dog, the more anxiety the dog may have. I, we've said it a million times on this podcast, but all of our dogs have anxiety. Not crazy anxiety where they have to be, you know, medicated and, you know, passed out in the corner, but anxiety that we have to manage, anxiety that would really start spreading if we didn't treat them a certain way. So don't get so like, oh, freaked out about anxiety. And while we're talking about this, I just have to touch on it. If you have children, 
and you choose to medicate your children to go to school, I understand that, okay? It works really well for some kids, everything else. No one is medicating their children to go to football practice, okay? So I'm going to be pretty harsh here with you guys, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about this topic, and if it offends some of you, then I'm sorry. Why are you medicating your dogs to compete in agility? That is, that doesn't make sense to me. If you have a, if you have. People really doing that? I don't even know they do that. Yes. Um, If you have a dog that you have to medicate for recreational activity, let's unpack that a little bit more. Let's talk about the training aspects of that a little bit more. Let's, and I mean, this is seriously a talk that I'm willing to have. I mean, we, I am not saying that all anxiety medication for dogs and everything else is a problem, but when we're talking about actually administering it so the dog can compete, I think that we're crossing a line there. So just, just think of it. We really like to, you know, relate dogs and humans and everything else. We need to medicate the kid because he needs to uh, perform better in school. I get that. I'll give you that. We need to medicate this pet dog because he lives better in the household. I'll give you that. I, I understand that. We don't medicate the kid so she can go be a gymnast and become an Olympic athlete gymnast, okay? So please, like, I really want to touch on that. And there's a training issue. There's a, a, an underlying training issue there that I think we should explore and that we should talk about. It's really, really important to me. Yeah, you didn't know that? We should have had that talk beforehand. I, I would think, it, yeah, if you need to medicate your dog to go out and have fun, maybe <laughs> the dog isn't having fun. Maybe you shouldn't even be doing it if, if the dog is not enjoying it it needs to be medicated it's what i touched on it's what i touched on earlier if you want high drive you need to learn how to work with high drive and high drive dogs need rules i'm sorry we live with freaking four i'd say five really high drive dogs max is a lot but he's not drivey my thinking is you know the higher the drive and the higher the intelligence it's maybe it's a little counterintuitive but they shouldn't have so many options because then they're just thinking about all kinds of stuff all the time you want to really Limit those options so that they can actually or have process. Great, or have great control behaviors. You know what I mean? Like, this, this is all stuff all, we can get that's into. the options they know to work with you. I mean, they're Yeah, but it's not like you. they just need to be in a crate. Like, you know, no, you no, have no, an excellent I mean. long downstay. You have an excellent bed command. You have, you have ways to stabilize these dogs that are over the top and that, you know, would definitely not function well in a pet dog home. I want them to feel they have limited choices. Yeah. Not unlimited choices. And when you get into you know, a lot of shaping where you're letting them make a lot of choices to stumble into the right choices. Sometimes it can get overwhelming. I personally want my dogs to have every choice available to them, but I want to be able to control them. Okay. So I'm not, it's not about that. We're going to, you know, create this different pathway now and they're going down a maze to everything else. I want to give my dogs the whole big wide world, the whole big wide beach, the whole woods, everything. I want my dogs to experience everything. All my dogs have flown on planes with me. I want my dogs to have everything they can have, but I want to be able to control them. And it is my job as their owner to control them. So that's where I come from. The last thing I want to touch on in all of this is tool usage, because we sit up here every week, we're balanced trainers, everything else. I'm going to meet you where you're at with tools, okay? You don't have to write me and I'm saying, all right, order a Starmark plastic pinch and, you know, get an e-collar. And when you go into class next week, you know, hit the dog on 100 with an e-collar. That would freak out most instructors. That's not how I train. That's not what I'm going for here. Yeah, yeah, that's not (laughs) like we're not just complete hacks. Okay, cookie that originally is called joy based dog training because I used absolutely no tools, especially with my clients and everything else at that time. I didn't judge where you came from. But when you showed up for shaping class or body awareness class or, you know, puppy class or tricks class or whatever I was teaching that day, tools came off. We weren't using tools in that class. 
If you have a prong collar on your dog and you use that in your day-to-day life, we can talk about that. I'll meet you there. If you have zero control over your dog and you only have a front attached harness, I may recommend a head halter. I may recommend a gentle leader. Like, let's, I just want to be clear that this doesn't mean, oh, I signed up for this thing with Jess and, you know, now I'm going to have to have a pinch collar and an e-collar on my dog. Sink has never worn any form of electric in her entire life, including a bark collar. And I've only put like a plastic pinch on her to fly her just because it's easier for me before. You know, all of that training has been absolutely no compulsion. Vital she, had, is, she had a lot of reactivity as a young dog. Too. Yes, she had a lot of trouble. She, she would she get was, crazy about like somebody with a baby stroller. She'd start barking at him. She was like a little nutty when yeah, she was young. Drive, drive, right? Yeah. And now, I mean, I pray so much that I can use her in these consults. She's going to be 13 in the spring, but I can do anything with that dog like that dog we just taught a, a seminar in new york in october and I, I relied on her so heavily and i haven't actually trained that dog in probably three to five years you know what i mean so um I'm, i can't say the same thing about vital because she's sitting at home in a bark collar right now she's noisy as heck in a crate but i'm gonna meet you where you're at with tools so don't feel like just because you're paying us money and we sit up here and talk about how we're balanced trainers I know how to train without tools, you guys. I'm a very good positive reinforcement trainer. I like to keep my toolbox open, but that's just where I'm coming from. So if you guys have questions, I do want you to write me about this. This special, it's pretty affordable, you guys. I mean, I really, I I am pretty qualified to do the types of things that I'm talking about and consult on the types of things I'm talking about. I have a lot of professional testimonials on this page. I have a lot of testimonials from students on this page. $100 $100 isn't much money. And I know the going rate of what a lot of other people are charging out there. Even when it gets to $159, I'm not talking huge, big money. And with that said, it will only go up from $159. I do not have all the time in the day to be doing five to six of these a day. So, you know, I'll pr- probably limit myself to five a week here in 2024. And if it's going crazy, I'm going to have to raise the price because I don't have time to do this and do a pet dog business and be Scott's loving wife and host a podcast. And Which do is everything priority else. one, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to give you a testimonial real quick. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. We're going to close with this. So I, you know, came from a background, a French ring uh, protection sport background, which is, I think, fair to say heavily compulsive. I mean, I trained in Europe. I trained all over this country. And it's, of course, I would say it's definitely more positive than it was 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. It's advanced hugely. But what I learned was every compulsive technique imaginable for any different situation. And like what comes to mind is start lines. So you have a dog there that's trained to bite. Your target is down there. His reward is down there. And everybody, and I was in Europe and they would like, they put a long line across the painted line. And if the dog started to creep, somebody on the other end would pop this long line up to get them to be respectful of the long line. The dogs know always whether the stuff is there or if it's a free day, especially they're out in a trial now and they're getting uh, and they're not, all, they're not all like this. But after they've been able to maybe make a little mistake here and there, they get looser and looser and looser during the trial. And people are just hoping that they can keep it together for the entire trial. That's not uncommon. And I'm not saying that everyone is like this. But I went through those issues early on. And uh, so here I had, I was on my third or fourth dog. And uh, Jess enters my life. And my dog is very driven to bite. He loves to bite. And he... His Malinois. Jimmy was perfect on his start line. I would get to a point where I would like stop three feet in front of the the start line, tell my dog to down, because I knew he was going to go forward when he downed. And he would go forward and I would just pray that those toes weren't going over the line. And then I would do the exercise. And you're allowed to do that. But it was all Band-Aids. 
I was always using little band-aids because of my poor training. So Jess said, um, bring him right up to this line. We're going to teach him to respect the paint. And we always had fresh paint wherever yeah, we always, trained. We had to bring a can of paint everywhere. <laughs> everywhere we trained, we we'd had paint. we spray that paint there. <laughs> and if he lit, went down and those paws went over it, we'd take the dog away. We'd restart the whole thing again. And he didn't get any bite. And, the, and he's a dog I have now. He learned like within four or five sessions like that, he was perfect on the paint anywhere. I could do my positions from a distance, any bite work, starting exercise. My fear was now I had to march right up to that line <laughs> and trust my dog. And he would have to feed and his tell sit. him to down. He'd have to feed his sit with a cookie too. And that dog, if I was too close to the line, he would down back up away from that because he knew you're not going to get a bite if you cross the paint. And he knew where the paint was. And it was not a compulsion-based learning experience for him, but it was an experience that sunk in. He never forgot it. I never had problems with the start line after that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So that's that. a positive yeah, way of handling. Now, I went to Europe. These guys, for 100 years, <laughs> have been doing all kinds mm -hmm. of compulsive techniques. Oh, we can do this. We can do that. This and is they, why they're banning bite sports work, in Europe right now. They're Stop working, talking at, they're like working as a group. There's six guys to one dog <laughs> so that this dog never knows where it's and, coming from. And you guys, the thing about tools and the thing about all these environmental aids and everything else is you can't use them at a show site. You can't use them in a trial. And the dogs get trial-wise and tool-wise and everything else. So You can't even use them on the... The warm-up day, like yeah, now is exactly. to a point. You can't, you, come be, out on, you can't come out on open field with all kinds of tools. You got to be a smarter trainer than that. Yeah. And I have a very varied background in what I've done. You can read a little bit about my testimony on this page, but I hope you guys will click it. Um, I'm happy to offer gift certificates for this $99 price. I swear to you, it will never be this cheap again because this is an absolute steal for what I'm offering. If you want to do a gift certificate, um, you can email me at cookiethat at gmail.com or you can email us at the podcast email site, um, studio at the QuirkyDog.com. That's always in the description. Next week, we are going to do Train Your Weaknesses. This is a Scott topic. I love it. It's going to be our holiday episode. And the following week after that is Dog of the Year. And it's my favorite dog of the year ever. No offense to Petra and Zeal and Perry and Jess and Verb and who did we use? Verb and Hallelujah and Wit and last year, Andy and Christy. But this is my favorite Dog of the Year episode ever. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Click the link for the Cookie That Consults. Deal ends end of the year and keep it quirky. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.